following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Well, good morning, IBC. Hey, we still have some time left. We can win the beard. If you're on the fence, this is your chance. Sign up to be a kids ministry volunteer today. My name's Sissy, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. Whether you're here in the room or you're joining us online, we're so glad you're with us. As Jared mentioned, we have been in this series that we've entitled Serve, and last week, Jared talked about serving the body. And this morning, I get to talk to you about serving the city. And as I thought about that, I was reminded of an experience that I had some years ago. I was living in New Jersey, and I got the opportunity to serve with City Relief, which is a mobile outreach to those struggling with poverty and homelessness in New York City and the surrounding areas. They have some buses that they use to bring volunteers to the same locations every week, where they create an intentional space that is both welcoming and dignifying. They provide a simple meal, a sandwich, or a cup of soup, And then they try to connect individuals in need with resources such as job training, access to rehab programs and emergency shelters. They then walk alongside those people and provide long-term care and help them navigate government programs and community agencies. Now I got to serve with City Relief by prepping a meal, getting on a bus, and going to the same neighborhood in Patterson, New Jersey, once a month. I got to know the people in that neighborhood. I got to hear their stories, pray with them, even share the gospel with some of them. I got to help connect them to resources to help meet real needs. I got to meet people struggling with addictions, single parents, kids in the neighborhood, people who just needed to know that someone cared about them. Someone wanted to help them. People who needed to know that they were image bearers of God, full of immense dignity and incomparable worth. I got to see the heart of God for the poor, the oppressed, and the vulnerable. City Relief was founded by Rich Galloway, who was a successful entrepreneur living here in Dallas. Now that makes sense, right? All good things come from Texas, don't they? After seven years of living here, I bought into this truth. But Rich was a successful entrepreneur living here in Dallas who became a follower of Jesus. And one day, Rich was reading Isaiah 58. And he was immediately challenged by God's heart and concern for the poor. And he felt God calling him to lead a mobile outreach in New York City. So Rich packed up his family and moved to New York. There was no funding for the organization, no salary so that Rich could support his family. All he had was this vision from God. And from that vision, City Relief was born. Today, City Relief partners with 250 other organizations to provide holistic care to individuals struggling with poverty and homelessness in the greater New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. Now, the question I had was, why would Rich Galloway upend his entire life, leave his career, his home, everything he knew to serve the poor in New York City? 
And then I wondered, what was my responsibility in meeting the needs of the poor, the oppressed, the vulnerable? Because as I looked around at my city, the needs were great. Poverty, homelessness, at-risk youth, food shortage, the exploitation of women and children, and the list could go on. And it felt really intimidating. Surely there are trained professionals, nonprofits that could handle this sort of thing. What was I supposed to do? What could I do? What should I do to meet the needs of the poor and the powerless? All of it felt hard and uncomfortable and overwhelming. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. I wonder if you've ever felt overwhelmed as you looked around at the needs of our city. Maybe you've asked yourself, what can I do? What should I do to meet the needs of the poor and the oppressed? What does God call us to do when we talk about serving our city? Now, some have called this social justice. And that term has been hijacked a bit and associated with a liberal agenda. And so we think we shouldn't be talking about this. We're the church. We should be talking about the gospel. What does justice have to do with the gospel? Well, this morning, I want to show you that justice has everything to do with the gospel. That, in fact, it is at the heart of the gospel. To do that, we're going to walk through Isaiah 58 and a few other texts. And I think we'll find the answer to our question, why should we pursue justice and seek to serve the needs of the poor, the powerless, the oppressed? And it's simply this, because Jesus poured out his life for us, we pour out our lives in acts of service for others. Because Jesus poured out his life for us, we pour out our lives in acts of service for others. So I want to walk through Isaiah 58, and I want to try to answer three questions for you. Here's the first one. What is God's heart for justice? Secondly, what is justice? What do we even mean by that term? And then thirdly, what motivates us to do justice? So grab your Bibles or your devices, turn with me, swipe with me, whatever it is you do, and let's go to Isaiah 58. We'll tackle that first question, what is God's heart for justice? Isaiah 58, verse 1. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have they fasted, they say? You have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? God commands Isaiah to speak to his people. And here's how he describes them. They are people who seek God. They they worship, they pray, they go to the temple, they offer the right sacrifices. And they do this consistently. Day after day, God says, they seek me out. They're eager and passionate to know my commands. Now, they sound pretty good, don't they? They're going to church. They're praying. They're reading their Bible. They're serving. They're in a formation group. They are doing all the things. So they ask God, why aren't you answering our prayers? 
Why aren't you giving us what we want? Why aren't you blessing us, God? They try to pressure God to do what they want through their external behaviors, and God will have none of it. And so God responds, and he says this, picking up in the middle of verse 3. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. They observe the Sabbath. They, they, they rest, but they exploit their workers by forcing them to work. And now God begins to question them in verse 5. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them. And not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. God says, if you think you have a relationship with me and you're not involved in meeting the needs of the poor and the vulnerable, if you think you know me but you don't know them, you don't care about them, you don't actually know me. Not deeply. You don't actually have a relationship with me. Maybe you check some things off of your religious checklist, but you don't know me, not intimately. Now, I don't know about you, but that's shocking. Why would God say that? God talks about his heart for the care and protection of the poor and powerless throughout scripture. The prophet Zechariah writes this. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. In Psalm 68, David says that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. Friends, do you see how countercultural this is? God stands with the poor, the oppressed, and the vulnerable. There was no other culture or religion in ancient times like this. Other cultures, other religions believed that their gods favored the people at the top of the social ladder. The military heroes, the kings, the wealthy noblemen. But not the God of Israel. In a society where the rich were often favored, he's the God of the poor. In a society dominated by men, he's the God of the poor widow. In a society where life was centered on the family unit, he's the God of the orphan. In a society where everything revolved around your tribe, your clan, your family, he's the God of the immigrant, the refugee, and the foreigner. God stands with the people at the bottom. Now, that's the Old Testament. What does Jesus have to say about this? In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about this day when he will return and he's going to gather all people before him. And he says he'll separate them into two groups. And to one group, he says this. Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. And they respond, God, when did we do these things? And Jesus says, truly I tell you, 
whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And to the second group, he says, depart from me. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. And they say, Lord, when did we not see you? When did we not help you? And Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Jesus identifies with the poor, the oppressed, and the vulnerable. He says, whatever you do for them, you do for me. What is God's heart for justice? God's heart is for the care and protection of the poor and powerless. Let's take a look at question two. What is justice? There are at least three things that the Bible talks about when it talks about justice. First of all, Justice includes loving your neighbor. Take a look back at Isaiah 58, verse 7. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. God says, share your food, provide the poor wanderer with shelter. That word in Hebrew for wanderer is the word for immigrant or refugee. God says, don't turn away from the needy because they are your own flesh and blood. They're your family. Every human being is your flesh and blood. This is what it means to love your neighbor. This is what Jesus was talking about in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Tim Keller writes this. We instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We do it for people like us and for people whom we like. Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, and religion, is your neighbor. Not everyone is your brother or sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor. And you must love your neighbor. My friend Chris is an IBCer who practices loving your neighbor as he serves with Family Promise, one of our partners that helps families at risk for homelessness. And Chris shared with me some stories of families that he's met through his work there. A young family who recently immigrated here from Kenya looking for a better life. A single mom just struggling to make ends meet. An elderly man caring for a young child. With no support system, these families soon found themselves on the brink of homelessness. Chris and other IB steers get to walk alongside these families as Family Promise helps connect them to resources such as jobs and housing. Chris says that sometimes we all just need a little help. And through his work with Family Promise, he gets to help families in need that often look very different from him. Justice includes loving your neighbor. But justice also includes a special concern for the vulnerable. When the Bible talks about justice, it often uses this word mishpat. And mishpat means giving people what they are due as image bearers of God. But it goes beyond just treating them equally. It means we do things for the vulnerable that we wouldn't do for other people because they don't need it. We advocate for them. 
We use our power and privilege on behalf of the powerless and the underprivileged. Take a look back at verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? A yoke is a piece of farming equipment. It's a wooden bar that's placed on animals so that they would be forced to work. It's a metaphor for oppression. We are to work to free people from exploitation. Justice includes loving your neighbor and a special concern for the poor, for the vulnerable. But it also includes living generously. Going back to verse 7, God says, share your resources, provide food and shelter, give financially. But this isn't just writing a check. Giving financially is a significant part. But God desires more than that. Jump down to verse 10. Because there's a phrase there that I want you to see. God says, spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry. This isn't just dropping a check in the mail or setting up a Venmo payment. Spend yourself, really get involved with your whole life to not purposefully and generously share your resources, to not spend yourself on behalf of the poor and powerless is to do injustice. What is justice? Justice is loving your neighbor, a special concern for the vulnerable and living generously. We talked about God's heart for justice. We we talked about what justice is. Let's go to the third question. What motivates us to do justice? Because right about now, this starts to feel overwhelming. See, oftentimes the motivation that's used is guilt. If you don't do this, you have failed. Or sometimes it's shame. If you don't do this, you're a bad person. Or other times it's pride. If you do this, you're a really good person. You should feel good about yourself. Now that might work in the short term, but it doesn't last. You'll either find shortcuts to appease God or you will just stop doing justice altogether. So let me give you an example. We're in the middle of this win the beard campaign. If we get 100 people to sign up to be kids ministry volunteers, what happens? Barry's gonna shave his beard. Now, we're trying to have some fun here. It's cute, it's kitschy, all of that. But what happens after Barry shaves his beard? Because if that's your only motivation, it's going to be short-lived. His beard apparently grows back pretty quickly. So what do we do then when we need more volunteers? Do we get him to wax his legs? Like, it's going to get really awkward around here if we keep upping the ante. See... None of these things will ever truly motivate us. So what does? Grace does. Not guilt, but grace. Let's pick up in the middle of verse 13. Isaiah writes, If you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words... Then you will find your joy in the Lord. Israel was exploiting their workers, making them work on the Sabbath while they themselves observed it as a day of rest. So God says, see, when you begin to see that following me is a joy and a delight, then you will do justice. 
When you see all the beauty of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, then your heart will truly desire to meet the needs of the poor, the oppressed, and the vulnerable. Because in the end, you'll get God. He's the treasure. He's the reward. He's the prize. If you've experienced grace, then you will extend grace. What motivates us to do justice? Grace motivates us to do justice. Three questions that we've asked and answered. What is God's heart for justice? God's heart is for the care and protection for the poor and powerless. What is justice? Justice is, a, is loving your neighbor, a special concern for the vulnerable and living generously. What motivates us to do justice? Grace motivates us to do justice. Because Jesus poured out his life for us, we pour out our lives in acts of service for others. The poor and powerless are a doorway to the very heart of God. And if God stands with the poor, then shouldn't we? So what do we do with all of this? I've always told you that I'll never preach a word to you that I haven't first preached to my own heart. And as I was studying this passage, I felt God saying to me, Sissy, do you know someone who is poor? He wasn't asking, have you ever met a poor person? He was saying right now in your life, do you know someone who is poor or oppressed or vulnerable? And I had to say no. I know people who are like me, people who live in neighborhoods like mine, who who come from the same socioeconomic background as me. And God is saying to me, You want to know me? Then get to know them. You've experienced grace to see. So now extend grace. Work to meet the needs of the poor, the oppressed, and the vulnerable. Brian Stevenson is the director of the Equal Justice Initiative. He says this. We cannot create justice without getting close to places where injustice prevails. We must get proximate to suffering. I believe God is calling me to take a next step in doing justice. And I want to invite you to do the same. I want to invite you to take one next step in doing justice. And and look, this is an invitation. You don't have to do this. But it's an invitation to know the very heart of God. And I want that. And I think you want that too. As those who have experienced grace, we get to extend grace. This is the very heart of the gospel. But maybe you don't know exactly where to start. Here at IBC, we work with a number of organizations. We partner with a number of organizations that are doing incredible work in serving our city. And they would love to have you come be part of that. Maybe you want to do justice by meeting the needs of at-risk youth. 70% of Irving ISD students are considered at-risk for dropping out of school because of homelessness because of unstable home lives, because they're in and out of foster care, so many other reasons. 70%, every one of them, image bearers of God, full of immense dignity, incomparable worth. Education empowers. Education can change the trajectory of a young person's life. Don't they deserve a chance? Schoolworks is a ministry that is striving to make a lasting difference in our city by serving children, teachers, and families of Irving ISD. You can serve at-risk youth by being a mentor 
and in a number of other ways in Irving Public Schools. But maybe you want to do justice by serving the homeless and those struggling with poverty. Last year, on any given night, there were nearly 4,500 homeless individuals in Dallas County. Every one of them, image bearers of God, full of immense dignity, incomparable worth. We partner with organizations such as Many Helping Hands, Crisis Ministries, Family Promise, and The Main Place, who are working with the homeless and those experiencing food shortage to provide them with holistic care. Each of these partners has opportunities for you to serve with them today. Maybe you want to do justice by meeting the needs of sexually exploited women. Every one of them, image bearers of God, full of immense dignity, incomparable worth. Texas is the second largest hub in the nation when it comes to sex trafficking. Dallas is one of the top cities nationwide in sex trafficking. You can sign up to serve with Valiant Hearts, one of our partners that is doing such good work to free women from the clutches of sexual exploitation. Or maybe you want to do justice in in other ways. All of these partners, plus many more, are going to be out in town square after this service. They would love to talk with you, tell you a little bit about what they do and how you can find your spot to serve. And if you're joining us online, all of this information is available for you at irvingbible.org slash serve local. Frederick Buechner said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Friends, where is God calling you? What are the needs and the burdens in our city that bring up a sense of compassion, maybe even a sense of grief inside of you? And what are the unique ways that God has gifted you, wired you, created you to help meet those needs, to help lift those burdens? What's your next step in serving our city? And you don't have to do this alone. Formation groups, this is a great opportunity for you to serve together. This is our city. And God has called you and I to to make a difference, to help push back the darkness so that the light of Jesus Christ can shine through. Injustice exists because Satan wants to destroy and distort the image of God in every one of us. And Jesus Christ came so that he might renew that image, restore that image. And he invites us to be part of his work of restoration in our city. Look what we get to do. Look what we get to be part of. The early church dramatically affected those around them by doing justice. Rodney Stark writes, Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent problems. To cities filled with homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. That sounds a whole lot like the world we live in today. So what will people say about us? 
My hope is that when people talk about Irving Bible Church, they will say, that's a church that understands the heart of the gospel. Look at how they serve our city. Look at how they pour themselves out for the sake of our city. God wants to do a work in us so that he might work through us. And he invites us to be part of bringing his kingdom, his vision for justice to DFW. If God stands with the poor, the oppressed, and the vulnerable, then shouldn't we? Because Jesus poured out his life for us. We pour out our lives in acts of service for others. Jesus was born in a manger to poor parents. He lived his early years as a refugee. He never owned a home. And in the end, he died a criminal's death and was laid in a borrowed tomb. Jesus became poor for us so that we might become rich in him. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.